Uh, we asked for a Q&A last week, and it's sometimes tough when we don't do Q&As often uh, to actually share a question, but I did get one by email this week, and, and I thought it was an important one to share because the question was, we've been in a series, by the way, so if you just kind of jumped in with us today, we've been in a series called One and uh, looking for a vision for marriage and the wisdom of scriptures. And one of the verses that, that we've been focusing on uh, at the beginning of the series was Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 24, that, that says, a man will leave his uh, parents and, and become united with his wife. And the question that came up is, well, how does that work in our modern culture? Um, and, you know, how does it work where, first of all, you know, young adults, uh, sometimes people will leave the, their home before they're 20, uh, live on their own, become completely independent or somewhat independent, unless you're Italian and you live at home till you're 40. And that's, I'm Italian, I can say that. So, I don't know, that doesn't make sense. But anyways, uh, so you do that, and, uh, and you only get married in your 30s. So then... Uh, how does that fit? Does that mean anything to you? Leave your parents and become united with your wife? What about in a culture where not today as much, but in other parts of the world, you still stay very connected to your extended family, sometimes even living in the, in the same vicinity? Um, you know, you're even hearing these days of intergenerational homes. So how does that principle, is that a literal principle that a, uh, someone will leave their parents to become united with their spouse and be completely separate? And so, so it was a good question. And here's, here's the idea behind it. The principle is not literal, it's not like I've completely left my parents and um, you know, ditched them and become part of this other family. And in our modern culture, it's this, it's this, the principle is that, okay, what's happening is, is my primary relationship, if, if I'm getting married, is now with my spouse. So whether I live in an extended family situation, whether I've been out of the house for 10 years, but only, you know, only getting married later, um, the principle is, is that the primary influence of my life, which was my family, and I'm still committed to them and loving them, the primary relationship now is my, is my spouse. And so that, that's the, the principle behind that. Hopefully that you know, helps if somebody else had that kind of question. And if you don't feel comfortable asking a question here, feel free to send it to me by email. And sometimes it's, it's worth sharing up here in the front. So that's it. Just wanted to share that. That came in through, the, through an email this week. So let me jump into this morning's next topic in, in this whole series. My daughter Julia plays the piano and she uh, practices. If you have a child that uh, is in music... Even if they like music, it's so hard to make them practice, right? It's so hard. I mean, it's different than like they're in swimming. Because when, they go, when they go swim, they just swim. Like, it's not like they're going to practice swimming at home in the bathtub, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so with piano or some things like that, you've got to practice. You've got you to gotta do stuff like that. And so I, I notice immediately, or her teacher notices immediately, the week she practices, she gets better, like the week that she spends 20 or 30 minutes a day on scales and on one or two pieces and a section of that piece, she goes back the next week and she actually, it never fails that when she practices, she gets better. It's funny, but intuitively in our life, we know the difference when we practice something and when we don't. And practice, we've heard this phrase, this cliche, practice makes perfect, or at least practice makes better. If it doesn't make perfect, practice at least makes better, right? So if you read up on finances and you want to invest in the stock market, but for about a year you practice with fake numbers, 
You're going to get better at it, and you're probably going to invest more wisely when you do. If, if you're into knitting, apparently knitting is a big thing these days, you're watching things on YouTube and figuring out how to knit and make things up, and then, well, as you slowly do that, you, you know, eventually you'll make a scarf. And where you could make a scarf, you made a scarf. And maybe you follow a do-it-yourself blog and you don't know how to put up this certain thing in your house and you followed it and tried it. Maybe you've made a mistake once, but you've practiced it and you got better at it. Well, it's funny, when it comes to certain things in life that we feel are important, um, we rarely leave it to chance and just hope it gets better, right? We, we practice or we learn or we, we grow in it so we can get better. Today's focus in this series called One about marriage is this, is that a vision for marriage gets better with practice. Um, If marriage becomes the second most important relationship in your life outside of God and becomes one of the key influences for you for the rest of your life, why not get better at it? Why not grow in it? I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalms chapter 1. It's not a passage on marriage, but it's a, it's a great passage on, on growth. And we're going to read three verses from there and jump into some, some uh, steps and ideas today as we keep going in this series. And so Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read till verse 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's pray. Father, we, um, on our own, we, we can't fully get um, all that you have in store for us. And so we just declare our dependence on the power of your spirit um, to work in us, to speak into our hearts. Um, even regardless of, of, uh, of our marital status, single or married, we know that even in this text and even in this, this, these next few moments, God, you can speak to us uh, in a way that intersects our hearts and our lives. And so we just we invite you to do that, God. And maybe for some situations this morning that might be uh, feel a little bit heavier than others, God, we we bring that to you and pray that um, you would uh, you would be at work um, in a way that only you can. In your name, we pray. Amen. I love this passage. One of my favorite three verses in the Bible when I think about growth, when I think about growing into the person that God's created us to be because there's something about like the first two verses as the psalm opens up and it's the first psalm of 150 and I think there's something so powerful about it but what it talks about in the first few verses is intentional choices. Uh, intentional choices. So where that person will walk, where, who that person will walk with, what influences that person will have. And it leads towards the kind of person that he or she will become. And it's so amazing because there's something about that truth that resonates with us. This intentional choices about life and growth. And verse three is this, is this climax. And the metaphor is, uh, is hard, not, it's, it's hard to miss this strong and fruitful person. 
And the metaphor is a tree that's planted by streams of water. If you go to that, that picture, it's so simple to kind of get it in our minds. Oh, well, obviously, if, if a tree is planted by a place of, of, of nourishment, of resources, of water that's going to feed it, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. And this climax and this metaphor of the psalm is this strong, healthy, growing, fruitful tree, and even resilient tree in its various seasons. And the key to the, to the tree's health is not necessarily just wanting to be a tree. The, the, the key to the, to the tree's health is not even the circumstances around it because there's going to be good seasons and bad seasons and there's going to be bad weather and good weather. The key to the tree's health is the streams. The streams that are by that tree. And looking back several years ago into this psalm and understanding a little bit more of the context, it's very possible that, that as trees were planted, they realized this tree's not going to grow unless we get water to it. And so they intentionally um, dug up irrigation systems. Actually, Marlene was just in Africa, and she was telling me some stories about what, what she saw in Africa. And she was telling me about a village that was, that was dying. It was desperate. But when some people came in to help that village and brought in irrigation systems and water got to that place, that village flourished. And so there's something about the image of this tree, but not just the tree, the streams that get to the tree. Because the the, the tree won't grow unless there's streams. And I want to just take that image, take that metaphor, and you can apply it to life. You can say, unless there's certain streams that I'm intentionally allowing in my life, I'm not going to grow into the person God has called me to be. But if we apply that to marriage, I think it's similar. Is there certain streams that I'm intentional about that will grow this relationship? Because if anything's important, you want to just leave it to chance. You don't want to just say, well, maybe it'll happen, or hope it happens, or, you know, I'm just going to believe in in that. So I want to just suggest five or six practices as we've gotten to this series. We've gone from the promise uh, to partnership. And last week we talked about purpose for your good, uh, for the good and growth of each person. But today I want to talk about practice and the practices that are like these streams that become nourishment for this relationship. And so the first practice, and you might say, as I even share this practice, you're like, duh, that's simple, right? And it's, it's just the practice of love. The practice of love. What it means as a spouse to practice love. And I'm going to tie a line to every practice. And so the line for this is, I will love my spouse with action. Not just I will love my spouse, but I will love my spouse with action. Kind of putting meat around that statement. Jesus had this uh, very popular phrase that's quoted quite often in John 13. He said this, a new commandment I'm going to give to you. Love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. Now we can take that universally for us, but I want you to just pause and think about it. It seems so simple. Jesus says, love one another. Seems simple, but then it gets hard to get it right. And, and sometimes we take love as this like otherworldly type of word and rarely see it as a, a verb. To love is a verb, is action. And so think about the difference between Feeling love and acting love. You know that, 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 that popular phrase, puppy love, is a phrase that is more of a feely love, right? It's not an active love. It's a, oh, I feel something. Uh, if, if you've dated someone or now married or remember like a time 
when you first held that person's hand, even if you were um, super young, that first time that person sat beside you and there was like this little bit of tension inside of you and you didn't know what it was and there was a little bit of, of, um, of excitement, of curiosity, of tingle all wrapped up in one moment and it just felt really weird and strange and good all at once and you know like when you know that pinky just touched even like one like maybe the side of your arm it was like i don't know there's just i feel something you know and uh, and when like his eyes stared at you for more than 30 seconds it's like this is feeling strange but good and what am i feeling inside and all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden you hear the lego movie theme everything is awesome no i'm just joking but there's just <clears throat> And so it, it, could, it, could feel, it, could, it could feel like that. And you know what? It's hard, almost impossible to replicate that feeling. To replicate that feeling. You, if, if you've been married for a long time, you cannot replicate that fresh, brand new, spark, tense, risky type of feeling. In fact, what's... And that's just part of reality. Counselors will tell you that. One of the difficult things of that is that, in fact, that's why some people often fall into a wrong relationship because it feels new and tense and risky. But it's also very deceiving because it's a feeling and not necessarily an action. It's, there's something there, but it's not an active type of love. Jesus said, love one another, and he meant it as a verb. And so to practice love is to practice it in action. It's to be committed. You might fall in love, but then you need to grow into love, right? You might fall in love, but then you need to grow into love. There's four biblical words for marriage that are scattered throughout the scriptures. And I think these four words help us, what it me- help us to understand what it, what it means to practice love. Now, uh, you know, two or three out of the four we could practice in, in other relationships. And one is only meant for marriage. But the first word is, is the word for friendship. To practice love is friendship, and that's walks and talks and ice cream and movies and milkshakes and things like that. To practice love as friendship. And uh, that word is philos in the Bible, but it means friendship. And then there's another word that's the word storage, and it means, I might not say it right, but it means, it means affection. And, and that kind of love is, is, is hugs and maybe uh, you know, hanging out together. Maybe it's gifts and surprises. And so there's this affection in that kind of love. And then there's the word agape, which is really the word for sacrificial love. It's, it's this service that we do to one another. Often the, the, the community of the church is called to practice agape love because we serve, are called to serve one another, to bear with one another, to sacrifice for one another. When, when, the, when the early church loved the world, they sacrificed for the world, they served the world. When we talk about OCC and Samaritan's Purse or other organizations, they are, in a sense, loving in an agape sort of way. There's sacrifice there. And it's one of, the be- one of the most beautiful witnesses of the gospel. And I know this is a side issue, but I just want to share it. I was reading a, a, an article on Slate mag- Slate.com, and they were talking about the Ebola crisis, and they were talking about, it was an atheist writer, and he was asking about, he was asking about what are these Christian doctors doing in these Ebola crises? And he started to walk through it and try to uh, analyze it and, and you know, you know, have a skeptical bent to it. And in the end, he just said, I don't believe in God, but I'm so glad that those who do are there right now because the rest of us aren't really figuring this out. Because there was something about 
this sacrificial I'm going to serve. And, and that's part of one of the ways that the scriptures calls us to love. And even in a marriage relationship, there's this idea of service and that sacrifice and care and work and projects. And it's patiently waiting for your spouse when they're sick or giving more time than any, anybody else would give. That's an agape service type of love. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 um, talks about the character of Christ and says, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's a service, sacrificial love. And then the last word is romantic. It's the word eros, and it's, it's the final piece of love that, 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 that only marriage is meant to share in being one flesh. But it's, it's also part of the practice of loving your spouse. And so there's this, if you think about it, what does it mean to, what are the practices in marriage? One of them is the practice of love. I will love with action. Now, here's the interesting thing is, to get even more specific in a marriage, and this, this is, I mean, I tell you this, and I don't say that I, this in a way that I figured this out, but do we discover which love a spouse appreciates most? Some people talk about it as love languages um, or love currencies. But it's likely that your spouse receives one or two kinds of those loves better than the other. In a sense, they feel more loved through friendship or through service than they do affection and romance. Or maybe it's the other way around. And it's important to then get so, get, start to grow in, in being specific with your spouse that you start to figure out, oh, this is the way my spouse receives love. Tim Keller in his book quotes a counselor who was talking to a couple and uh, they quoted at verbatim and, and, uh, and the couple speaks to this, um, I think it was the man, and, and saying, listen, when, when you first got married, there was this eruption of emotion and feeling in you. But if you haven't moved to actually serving and loving your spouse in an active way, eventually that initial spark kind of starts to, to drop. And if you haven't filled it in with, with specific ways of, of loving and serving and caring for your spouse, that, that's not going to last. And if this hasn't filled in, then it slowly begins to start to crumble and you feel like you need, it, you need something new. And that's this idea of practicing love and even being specific. So practice love. I will love my spouse with action. Here's the next practice. Practice presence. I will be present with my spouse. And these are the two things that, that are you know, just like two currencies in our, in our own life is, is our time and is our, is our communication. To be present with my spouse. Time is physically present. I'd say be physically present with your spouse and think about that, even if you're not married yet, what would that mean? Because in our culture today, I mean, we've all seen the YouTube videos and the Facebook posts of how horrible we are with phones and paying attention, and it's, it's eroding our culture, and it's hurting relationships. We all, I don't know how many times we will repost this over and over again, and we'll forget about it for two, three months, and we'll repost it, and, then, and, and I'm plagued with it, and you're plagued with it, and people are plagued with it. Time to physically be present at the table over a meal, a conversation before evening or bedtime comes. You know, some people say, oh, I wish if a marriage had like, oh, if I could go on a luxury vacation, that would like fix my marriage. I think committing to eating dinner together every night does more for a marriage than going to the Bahamas. Just, and that applies to family too. Your time determines your priorities. So don't let some of the other stuff that are good, sports and work and um, 
you know, other friends, which is all important, but don't let that get in the way of being present, of practicing presence. I know that I've, I've struggled with what that means in my own life, and I know that, uh, you know, many of you know I took a sabbatical a, a year and a half ago, and remember coming off that sabbatical, one of the choices I made, and I'm still, I, there's still times where I, I'm, I'm working into that, but one of the choices I made is I will, I will not be out of the house more than two, three nights a week. Because as a pastor, there's sometimes people to meet in the evening, meetings, we're all, everyone's volunteer, when do we meet? No one, I can't meet with people all the time at nine in the morning, you know? And so, but there was this, this sense, you know what, for the sake of my, of my wife and my family, I'm, I'm going to choose not to be out of the house more than two, three nights a week. The other part of presence is talking, just having a meaningful conversation. Do you have a meaningful conversation with your spouse once a day? Is it possible? And even when you think about this, even if you're not married, am I learning to engage people in meaningful conversation that I grow with that practice? So time and talk. Communication is huge. If you don't fill up your communication account with normal conversation, with even silly conversation, with conversation about general things, when the time comes when you really need to talk, you'll have no vocabulary to talk. And it's harder to talk serious stuff if you've never talked simple stuff. Sometimes it's not ignoring the awkward moment. Um, I'm just recently, I remember asking my wife, I, I mentioned something to her, and um, she smiled at me, and I, and I said, oh, Franca, that wasn't a real smile. What, what's going on, you know? That's, man, I, I find it hard to ask those questions, because then it, because then it becomes difficult, right? Then it becomes weird, then it becomes, now I'm letting you tell me why you're feeling this way. And, uh, and so uh, you ask that question. It's not happy. It's not a happy moment. But you need to hear it. That phrase, facts are your friends, right? <laughs> you need to hear it. You need to invite that in. So in your time, in your talking, practice presence. I will be present with my spouse. Here's the next one. Practice stewardship. I know we, we talk about this as, a peop, as people, right? Stewardship in terms of our money, in terms of our finances. And we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago being economic partners in, in marriage. But to practice stewardship. And here's the line. We will budget together and live within our means. We will budget together and live within our means. And listen, if you're not married or, or not married yet, this still applies to budgeting and living within your means. And if you want to get married one day, if you could, if you could grow in this now, it'll, it'll be huge for you when you get married. But as a married couple, to practice stewardship, we will budget and live within our means. And that means having, a, having financial goals together. That means having financial boundaries together. To decide on those goals, to decide on those boundaries what are, what are our limits and what are our goals? See, boundaries is saying, this is what we've got. We've got 60 grand a year. We've got 40 grand a year. We've got 120 grand a year. This is what we have. These are our boundaries. And my, my take on that is you give, you save, you spend. And we're not going to go into budgeting issues, but you give, you save, you spend. You figure out your boundaries. And in that, you figure out your goals and say, now what are our goals? So we make 50 grand a year. What are our goals? And how are we going to reach those goals within these boundaries? And this is so important to, to choose this together, to, to cheer one another on with this, to hold each other accountable. But I mean, of course, if I go to the store and I see a couple of shirts, I don't, I don't want to think about my budget at that point, right? 
And I don't want to, sometimes I'll preface that with, I come home with a couple of shirts. Frank, I bought three, but I'm going to return two. I, I promise. I'm just, I'm just thinking about them. And, uh, you know, or you had a store where you can't try them on and you know they have a return policy. You're like, I just grabbed them, and, but I'm not, don't worry, it's not going to be a $100 bill, it'll be 25 There's this idea, have you, have you chosen your, your goals and your boundaries together? Budgeting according to your income, not somebody else's. Your income, not your dreams. Budgeting according to your income and then according to your desired goals. And why is that so important? It's important for anybody, but it's important for marriage because debt will hurt a marriage like cancer. Debt will hurt a marriage like a sickness. Have you ever, have you ever, been, if, have you ever been in a place, you know, whether it's a big item or a car or um, even you know, something that's definitely worth more than a few hundred dollars and you really, really wanted it and you're thinking maybe you could wait or maybe you could stick with it or maybe you're at the store and the TV looks amazing and then you just look at each other and say, and then you just tell your spouse, you know, I don't want to know how it's going to affect us. Let's just do it and figure it out later. Is that ever... You're just like, whatever, we'll figure it out after. We'll, we'll see what the ripple effect is and I don't want to know what the interest is and I don't want to know what the payments are. We'll just, we'll make it happen. Proverbs 22, seven says, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. So Visa or MasterCard becomes your master and some marriages will, will like cave under the, crumble under the pressure. There's stress and conflict and it rips energy out of you. So practice stewardship. We will budget and live within our means. Here's this, uh, this other one, almost the last one. Practice faith. To practice faith together. We will grow spiritually together. We will grow spiritually together. Now, you know, maybe this, there's nuances here in a, in a relationship where one spouse is on a different page spiritually than another. But then, then of course, there's a responsibility as a believer to say, I will grow spiritually and I will live out and love and care and, and follow Christ in this. But think about this. Practice faith. We will grow spiritually together. Now, strong faith does not secure um, a strong marriage, but it fuels one. Strong faith doesn't secure a strong marriage, but it fuels one. It fuels one. So the, and let me, let me be clear. When I say grow in faith, it doesn't mean that one of the spouses says, uh, I know more than you about the Bible. So I'm going to, you know, this is what the Bible says. So here, you know, uh, being stronger in faith is, space is not just, in faith is not just spiritual authority. I ha- God has, you know, he's shown me this. He's told me this. And so I'm better than you. So this spiritual authority in that sense. No, it's about, it's growing in faith as a couple is each person or as a couple growing to abide in Jesus. Growing to abide in Christ. And that means that each person or together learning to listen to Jesus, learning to love Jesus, learning to be led by Jesus. Because as, as someone, as a spouse allows Jesus to become Lord of their life increasingly, they become a better spouse. Because Jesus leads their life. And Jesus begins to shape their heart. Jesus begins to shape their character. Some general spiritual practices, whether you do it on your own or with your spouse, is, is, in, is, is, is reading the scriptures, is embracing the scriptures, absorbing the scriptures. It's praying and prayer. It's worship like we're doing today. We've worshiped together. 
to grow in worship as a community, to grow in, in worship even as a person, uh, as a couple, and then community, to be part of the church, to grow in faith together. Now let's take something like prayer. Sometimes people say, okay, does that mean I got to pray with my spouse every day? Every single day? Like at whatever, in the morning or just before you go to bed or sometime, is there this specific couple prayer? And some people do that. I think prayer is important for a couple to pray together. Personally, I, we've, we've struggled with what that means, like to make that happen. And maybe sometimes I think I'm not spiritual enough that I don't pray at the same time with my spouse or whatever. It doesn't mean we don't pray together, but just not a daily routine. And so it could mean that. But here's what it should mean at least. It should mean that we are praying together or feel the freedom to pray together often. When, when something, not just when something comes up, but when something comes up, that's important. Do we have the freedom to just join together and say, let's bring this before God. Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to lead this. Um, if there's something going on, even, even, even in a moment in community, to have the freedom to say, I'm going to pray with my spouse. I feel I want to pray for them. That's so huge. But it must be praying for each other. If you have a prayer journal, does your spouse ever make it in your prayer journal? Do you pray for them? Do you pray for their day? Do you pray for what they're going through? That's vital. Whether you specifically have a diligent routine that's daily, that's one thing. But you must grow in praying together and for each other. This is so important. And here's why we need to grow in faith together. This is one of the key reasons. And and this is important to understand. Your spouse is not your life preserver. Only Jesus is your savior. Only Jesus can be your savior. Your spouse, as great as they can be, at times, is never your savior. Never. Only Jesus can be your savior. So practice faith. Say, we will grow together spiritually. And here's this one last one. I think just kind of brings it together. It's practice gratitude. To practice gratitude. I will be thankful for you daily. Imagine that would take place. Remember a couple of weeks ago we said, if every spouse looked at, looked at, looked at the other spouse at the beginning of the day and said, wow, this is an image bearer of God. How would that change the day? How would that change the relationship? And if every spouse would not only do that, but then say, what am I thankful for? Because of her, because of him. What am I thankful for in him or in her? I will be thankful for you daily. Huge. It's so huge. It's, it's tough for us to just pause and be grateful. But, and especially when someone, when your spouse rubs you the wrong way one day. Man, then you're like, I'm not thankful for anything today. <laughs> but how to just say, I will be thankful for you today. I will be thankful for you today. Let me close this way. You know, these practices, if we think of Psalm 1, they're like streams that are, that are by this tree. And these streams are not the goal, right? The goal is not the streams. The goal is the tree. The goal is not the practices. The goal is the life. And in marriage, the goal is not these practices. The goal is growing in marriage. Practices aren't the goal. Practices are just the means so before I started just chatting about my daughter, Julia, and she's, you know, just doing some elementary stuff in music, and it's, it's cool to see her grow. But when you think about a musician, when you think about a band, when you think about a symphony, when you think about a musician that would practice, they, he or she would practice these patterns. 
You know, you'd, you, if you'd walk into a practice room of a musician, a professional musician, you'd, you'd, you'd hear them doing scales over and over again or arpeggios or certain patterns, and they, they would just repeat them over and over again. I remember seeing a video of Branford Marsalis who was just doing this pentatonic scale, and he's like, I got this gig tomorrow night, and it's with the symphony, and so he's just like, blah, 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 blah. It's just whatever, over and over again. He's just doing it, and it's like, man, doesn't that get boring? That's just a pra- you're just practicing like something, and, and, but musicians do that. They practice these scales. They practice these patterns. They practice these lines. If you're a wind musician, you practice your breathing. You practice your fingering. If you're an opera singer, you practice your breathing. You practice your voice. Why do they do that? They don't do that. Just, it's not fun to go out into the street or in front of a crowd and say, listen to my pentatonic scale. Ba, 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 ba. Look how I can do this really sharp. With my, I can do a great little note here. You want to? They don't do it for that reason, right? That would be silly. Imagine you paid thirty bucks for a concert, and they're like, "Let me show you my scales." You know, listen to my breathing technique. How awesome! They don't do it for that. They do that so when they perform, they can express the beauty of the music. When they perform, what seems to us is effortless. When we're watching them, we're like. That was just, that seemed effortless. That was just beautiful. That just, it evoked emotion in in us, in me. They do that. They practice so they can express the beauty of music. And here's this part of, of, of what marriage can be. Marriage can be beautiful. Like the beauty of a symphony. Like the freedom of a jazz band. That at some point, when you come together in practicing love, Practicing unified decisions, free-flowing in conversations, practicing faith, practicing gratitude. The point is not to practice. The point is that then together you can express the beauty of a life becoming one. That's the point of the practice. Um, That's the point of these things. Let's stand as we pray.